You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Lord, I thank you um, for the resources you've given to each one of us as we give those as an act of worship. Please use those to change lives and to introduce people to you. And Lord, as we are in the middle of this election season, we ask that you would um, raise up godly men and women to lead our country who want to do your will, who want to live out your ways. So Lord, we pray for your will over the, the elections and, and everything that's coming our way these next couple weeks. And we ask now that you would bring your word to life to us. Make it come to life. Help us to know you better. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, for about 10 days or so, the last couple weeks, Jamie and I were in Hawaii. Kind of a post 30th anniversary celebration and we were in Maui and it was just wonderful. And when we left, it was summer here. And when we got back, it was winter here. And I'm not sure how that works, and I'm not sure what happened to fall. I mean, what, what happened? I don't think I'm going to leave the state again. It's just too much happens while I'm gone. But it was just crazy. You know, in Maui, it was, you know, we were suffering for the Lord, 86, 88 degrees every day. Sunny, the tropical smell in the air, you know, and I'm watching the weather here, and it's still sunny. And then, then a couple days before we fly back, our rains come, and it's like, Cold rain, not our warm, fluffy, you know, fall rain we get sometimes where it feels like winter, so that's okay. But like maybe some of you, when you're traveling or when you're away or you're sick or you can't come or whatever the case may be, I watched online and I saw last week's sermon that Gabe did prior to this one, in the section prior to this one, in our study of the Gospel of John. And really it was about a house cleaning, right? For those of you who are here. Remember that? Jesus comes to the temple and he basically necessarily cleans house because he's angry. Because there was all sorts of wrong going on there. And one of the things that was absolutely wrong was you had these money changers who were selling animals for sacrifice and that wasn't necessarily what was wrong. But where they were was, they were in the very area that was designated and set aside for non-Jews to be able to come to the temple and they couldn't because they were in their area. And it, it, it did, and many other things relative to that, then Gabe went into those last week, made the Lord understandably angry. And there's some really powerful imagery that Gabe helped us unpack last week. And one of those realities is that the day was coming and the day had come where the one true lamb, Jesus, had, had come. And that by his one sacrifice for all, he would fulfill all that those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to, pointing to. That one day, the one true lamb would come, he would offer the final sacrifice of himself and that would remove sin from people and selfishness from people and the brokenness from people and bring restoration and healing and redemption through his death, burial, and resurrection. And when we respond to that reality, when we receive this God into our lives, he literally comes and lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And we become the temple of God. And Gabe talked about this last week. We become God's house, literally. God doesn't live in a building or a temple. He lives in us, through his Holy Spirit. How does that work? I mean, that's, that's a lot to, to put our hands around. And we're going to be exploring 
as we continue on through the Gospel of John, how that works and what that's really about. And this week and next, we're going to look at two extremes of, of how this works. Today, we'll be looking at the extreme of a religious insider. No one was more of an insider than this guy was, and yet he was outside the kingdom of God. And next week, we'll look at a woman who lived a, a very immoral life, and whether man or woman doesn't matter, that kind of life in that culture was the apex of someone who would be far away from God, and yet she will enter the kingdom of God. So we have this religious insider and this religious outsider, and they are united in their need for Jesus, as are we. And so as we begin to look at this passage together in John chapter 3, I want you to watch for the religious pedigree of this man who comes to Jesus at night. What does it tell us about him? And why is he such an insider? And what does Jesus say to him? Watch for all these things as I read this to you. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Man, is there a lot there. So let's begin to work our way through this a little bit. I asked you to watch for the pedigree of this, this man. And this was a really amazing man. He was a Pharisee, which was the most conservative religious sect of the time. We know from his standing, that he came from a family of influence and wealth and prominence. And he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which was the Sanhedrin, which basically was the executive branch, the legislative branch, the judicial branch for the Jewish people kind of rolled into one, kind of the Supreme Court of the people. They, they were the religious leaders and the religious power. And so here's this man who's pious and privileged. He has wealth and power. He has influence and impact. He's in the know and he's known and he's connected and he's important. And I was thinking about the going, boy, what's a frame of reference for this? And I think a reasonable one was when I was in college, I went to school down at Southern Oregon State in Ashland, land of Shakespeare and other things. And 
I got to be a part of this leadership honor society called Omicron Delta Kappa, ODK, my, I think my junior year, and I was vice president of the chapter. And so because I was one of the officers, I got invited by the president of the college to go with him to this business lunch. I guess it was really a chamber of commerce lunch or something like that, but it was all basically the movers and shakers in that community, the business leaders, the religious leaders, the, the, the difference makers, whatever. So, you know, I, I'm a college kid, right? So I put on my one pair of slacks and my little clip-on tie, the only one I had, and you know, I, I, I go to this lunch and I feel extremely out of place, and in comes this guy who's one of the priests in the area. And I mean, this guy's wearing his robes, and he clearly is someone because everyone begins to talk to him, take notice of him. It's clear that he's very well-connected, very influential, very respected, very esteemed. And I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? Do I, do I bow to him? Do I kiss his ring? I mean, he's, you know, you had that kind of vibe. I had that kind of feel. And I think that is in part the vibe here with Nicodemus. I mean, this was a man who knew the word of God by the very fact that he was a Pharisee and a religious leader. He certainly had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Many of those folks knew the entire Old Testament. They'd memorized it. I mean, they, they knew the word of God inside and out. So he was the quintessential example. And he's outside the kingdom of God. And it's stunning, really. Because in that culture, everyone would have said, to use our vernacular today, that is a good guy. That is a good man. That is a moral man. That is, a, that is a religious man. He would have been the gold standard for all of that. And Jesus looks at him and tells him, you are not in the kingdom of God. That's basically what he says. And, and it's so interesting how all this sets up. It says he came to Jesus at night. We're not sure why that was. Some explanations that have been offered is that maybe he was afraid, didn't want to be publicly seen talking to Jesus, I guess, which is possible. Another possibility is, you know, Jesus was always around people and people always wanted to be with him. And so maybe he's trying to avoid the crowds and have Jesus to himself. I think that's very possible too. And most certainly, John in his gospel is continually drawing a contrast between light and darkness. And so this is a man building on how the last passage ended that we ended with Gabe last week. This is a man who comes at night. He's, he's spiritually dark. And he needs to enter the kingdom. And so Jesus goes there with him. And so he addresses Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. No one can perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. This is a very gracious, this is a very gracious greeting. For one rabbi to address another as rabbi, that's, that's very respectful. This is gracious. And how does Jesus respond? Well, if someone is gracious to you or me and they, they acknowledge us, they respect us, um, they even compliment us, which all of that is going on here, wouldn't you say thank you? Or acknowledge that somehow? And it's quite possible that Jesus did and it's not included in the gospel. We talked about this as the preaching team. But this is what John says, calls attention to right after that. No thank you, no, no, no acknowledgement. Jesus says... Amen, amen. Yea, verily, in some translations here, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless, unless they're born again. 
And he'll say this three times in this passage. We just read it. You must be born again. You must be born again. To belong to the kingdom, you, you have to be born into the kingdom. And Nicodemus very understandably says, how does that work? I mean, look what he says. He's actually being quite literal here. That someone can't crawl back into their mother's womb, which is extremely weird. They can't crawl back into their mother's womb a second time to be born. And I read this and I think to myself, I have found my people. Nicodemus is my people because I'm very concrete and can be laughingly literal. The stories my family could tell you, and I, I mentioned this a long time ago, it's just kind of the gold standard of the things I do sometimes. So I'll, I'll say it again for those of you who have heard it before and for those maybe who haven't. But, you know, many years ago when we had little kids, um, we're out running errands and uh, one of those errands was to go to the grocery store. We buy all these groceries, put them in paper bags. That's when they gave you paper bags. And, you know, we're headed to Goodwill and we have our stuff in Goodwill in paper bags. We pull up to Goodwill and my wife, Jamie Lynn, says, Jay, can you, can you, you know, just get rid of all the Goodwill stuff? Got it. Anything in a bag is going to go. And it did. I cleared out the whole trunk. And then we drove home. And I know some of you are going, unbelievable. And the wives are going, oh, poor Jamie. And so we drive home. We get in the garage. We get out. We get the kids out of their car seats and stuff. We go to the back of the trunk. And it's empty. And Jamie says, where's the groceries? And I said, at Goodwill. <laughs> get all the bags out of the back of the trunk. I did that. Literal. And there's some of that vibe going on here, but in fairness to Nicodemus, he's not just being clueless and literal. Actually, he's beginning to understand at a level that's going to progressively grow because what Jesus is basically doing here is deconstructing his understanding of the kingdom of God. He's deconstructing his faulty theological foundation. You see, Judaism was always about relationship with God, right relationship with God in particular. It was never intended to be an empty religion of rules and regulations and rituals. God put the Old Testament law into effect in part to show them what right relationship with him was all about. It was distinct and necessarily profoundly different from all the broken polytheistic, multi-God worshiping cultures around them. And we read some of the Old Testament stuff and go, hmm, that's a little weird, but, but there was a point behind all of it. It was to to show the people that what God wanted was right relationship with them. Because at the end of the day, Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He did not come to modify an existing one. He came to end empty religion once and for all. And this is what is beginning to blow Nicodemus' mind. Because again, in that culture, he was the gold standard of a good guy, a moral guy, a religious guy. He's one of the religious leaders and he's not in the kingdom of God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have to be born again. And he begins to help him understand what that means. He says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of the water and the spirit. And basically to what Nicodemus he just said, he, Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. If you literally somehow, kind of weird, crawled back into your mom and got born again, you're still flesh. That's not dealing with the issue that we're talking about here. This is far more significant than that. And by saying this, he appeals to many, many layers. There's so many layers here that we could, we could unpack. But one of those layers is he reaches 500 years back into the Old Testament 
And he pulls forward a passage that this directly references that Nicodemus would have known. And this is the passage. It's Ezekiel 36. And this is a promise that God gave the people of what he would eventually do. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful in keeping with my laws. And if that wasn't enough, it was well understood that in that culture, this arid desert climate, that water proverbially and literally was the source of life. In an arid desert climate, water is everything. And Nicodemus would have understood this aspect too. You know, this calls to mind for me um, when I got to go to Israel in 2016 and we went to En Gedi, which those of you who remember your Old Testament or even remember our series when we went through the book of 1 Samuel, in Samuel 24, when David is on the run from King Saul, he flees to En Gedi. Why? Because of this. En Gedi sits near the Dead Sea and that entire region is dead. It's desolate. I mean, there's, there's no water for miles around. It's dry, it's arid, it's hot, it's desolate. But in En Gedi, you have this ravine that starts, and as you start to go up this ravine, you begin to see some water, and when you get to the end of the ravine, you, you begin to see little waterfalls like this, and you can see why this sustained life. It's the only place around that has water and sustained David and his men when they were on the run from, from King Saul. But water not only cleanses it, it gives, it gives life. And so Jesus calls to mind some of these layers for him, but then he says this to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it. You can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And again, wind is a, is a common denominator for all of us. When we were in Hawaii, at least where we were on the west side of Maui there, on all the islands, depending on what side you're on, the trade winds will kick up. I mean, like clockwork every afternoon. All of a sudden, the palm trees start to sway and the waves get a little bigger and the surfers and boogie boarders go crazy, you know, because the waves are getting big. But um, where we were at, we were sitting in our room looking out over our lanai, our, our little um, uh, porch area there, and it literally was right above the beach. And here are all these palm trees. And sure enough, in the afternoon, they begin to swing. Did I see the wind? No. Did I see the effects of the wind? Yes. And that's the metaphor Jesus is using here, is that you may not see God's spirit, God himself, but you can see his impact. You can see his effects. And so, understandably, Nicodemus' mind is spinning, trying to get his head around this, and understandably so. And he says, how can this be? And this, not, this isn't by context and by what's written here. This is not Nicodemus saying that he's incredulous, going, well, that's never going to happen. Actually, exactly the opposite. What he's saying here is, how can this be? How can this work for me? That's really what he's asking here. And it's the question we all have to do business with. To enter the kingdom of God, you need to have a right relationship with him. And we really do need to pause and do business with this. 
Is it possible to be religious, to be moral, to be a good person, to give money to the church and time and resources to be part of the community and not be in the kingdom of God? And the answer, yep. Absolutely it is. Because Nicodemus, quite frankly, had a way better resume than you and I will ever have. I mean, this was a man who knew, he knew the word of God, had memorized portions of the Old Testament or had the Old Testament entirely memorized. When's the last time you did that? I don't. He was the quintessential example of a religious life. He knew the word of God. He memorized the word of God. He was listening to podcasts every day. He was giving online faithfully, generously, meticulously. He was the first one to go out and sign up on, on the kiosk out there for Advent Conspiracy Community Christmas Party. Or he was the first one to take out his phone and bring up the Grace app and sign up for everything. This was Nicodemus. And he was outside the kingdom of God. So before we move on too quickly from this, are you in right relationship with God? Well, how do you answer that? Is there a defining moment? You don't necessarily have to remember the time and the date and everything else, but is there a time where you have received Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior? Because if you do, your life will change. You will begin to be transformed from the inside out. Well, what kind of a change are we talking about here? Well, it's an election cycle, right? In case you and I missed that, there's an election going on. There's voting going on. There are signs in lawns. There are about 15 spam calls I get every day. And so it goes. What if tomorrow you pulled out your phone and looked at your news apps or wherever you get your news, and here was an interview with Nancy Pelosi, of all people. And Nancy says, I was wrong. I am really a Republican. I am switching parties today to the Republican Party. And I am strongly encouraging you to vote for every single Republican candidate on the ballot. What would people say? What? That's a pretty amazing change. Let's be equal opportunity. Tomorrow, you pull out your phone. You pull up your news apps. However you get your news. I pull out my phone. I look at my app and it says, there's an interview with Donald Trump and you better hear this. And so I you know, bring up this interview with our former president. He says, you know what? I was wrong. In my heart, I really am a Democrat. And so we're going to make America great again by voting for every single Democrat on the ballot. I will, and I want you to as well. What would you say? What? The world really is ending, right? You know, I mean, what? What in the world is going on? Would you say, in our hypothetical examples, that that is a significant change? Yes! That's okay. This is not a trick question. Yes, that's kind of an astounding change. What Jesus would say to that is, that's not deep enough. That's not a deep enough. That's not a radical enough change. 
And now we're beginning to get our heads and hearts around what he's really saying here. And to help Nicodemus understand, he reaches once again back into the nation's history and he refers to something out of the book of Numbers and Nicodemus for sure would have known this story because he would have had numbers memorized. But in Numbers, I don't, so I'm going to look at the reference. I believe it's Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, for those of you, again, when we went through our Numbers series, if you will remember that or if you've read this in your Bible yourself, you know that God's people are on the way to the promised land and they haven't reached the promised land because of them because of their sin and selfishness and criticalness and rebellion. Here God delivers them from this amazing victory that they can take no credit for that just happened. And that what do they do? They complain. They complain to God. He's not a good enough God. He's not taking care of them enough. And up to this point, he has freed them from Egypt and from slavery. He's given them water. He's given them manna. He's given them quail. He's given them victories. He's taken care of them. He's protected them. He's put up with them. At this point, 21 chapters in the book of Numbers, I have to be honest with you, when I have read that, I think to myself at times, God, just wipe them out and start over. There is no hope for them. They don't get it. And here they don't get it again. They basically say, God, let us go back to Egypt and die there because at least the food was better, even though we were slaves. And so God necessarily, rightfully punishes them. And he sends poisonous snakes among them to bite them. But, and you will always see this with God's judgment and condemnation, it's always preceded by time after time and opportunity and opportunity of grace, of undeserved love and favor. So he provides a way out, even in this punishment, a way for them to be forgiven and saved. He instructs Moses to make this bronze snake that's lifted up on a pole, and everyone who looks at the snake who has been bitten by a poisonous snake will be saved. Every time in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about being lifted up. He is talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, and he will do it four times. I hate cancer. My father-in-law died from it. My mom died from it earlier this year. My 28-year-old nephew is fighting it and fighting for his life. And the same is true for many of you. You've either done business with it, had to fight it in your life, you're currently fighting it, you know someone, you love someone who has fought it or lost a battle with it. It's horrible. It's awful. But physical cancer is representative of a spiritual cancer that courses through every single one of our veins. It's called sin. And it entered the world with the start of human history. God created the world as he intended it to be. It was shalom, everything the way it should have been. And Adam and Eve chose to identify differently from God, apart from God, chose to question his goodness, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and just like God warned them, death disease, destruction, disaster, sin enters the world. And yet in that same reality, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promises that there will be one who will come, the promised one, the Messiah, the chosen one, the seed, 
who will crush the head of the snake. And in doing so, he will defeat Satan and sin and death, and he will provide a way out for there to be life and rescue from this spiritual cancer that courses through every one of our veins. Why does Jesus emphatically say over and over again, it's not enough to be a good person, it's not enough to be religious, it's not enough to be moral? Because settling for that kind of life is like putting a Band-Aid on someone's arm who has cancer. It doesn't go to the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. You and I need a heart transplant. We need a transfusion of God's righteousness, and it only comes by receiving Jesus Christ and his righteousness into our lives. That's why Jesus unequivocally can look at Nicodemus and say, even though you are a good man by so many standards, you have a spiritual cancer that will end your life forever. And if we don't address that, it's going to claim your life. And the only way, the only way for you to be rescued from that is to be born Again. Now, unfortunately, this word has come to mean something in our culture that is less than wonderful, right? When you hear born again talked about, it's usually used as um, a slur. It's derogatory. Oh, you're one of those, or you're a fanatic, or you've had some kind of emotional experience. No. Being born again at its heart means a change of heart. It means you've been transformed from the inside out. Oh, religion will change you from the outside in. It will change your behavior at times. It will have you adhere to creeds and codes and rituals and rules, but it won't change your heart. It doesn't get to motives. It doesn't get to values, oftentimes. But a heart transplant does. It changes you completely from the inside out. This is what differentiates the Bible and really Christianity from every other major worldview and religion out there is you don't seek God, which is how religion basically is defined. Christianity in the Bible is about God seeking you. He has come looking for me and for you. And he changes you from the inside out, not from the outside in. He transforms us. That's what the word regeneration means. He redeems us. He frees us from our brokenness and our selfishness. We don't have to settle for that or live like that because we have a choice now. We have an empowerment to live in a right relationship with God and one another. So he begins to repair us. And then he begins to renew us. He calls forth his image, which has always been in every single person. Every single human person has the image of God in them. And really, when Jesus changes you from the inside out, he calls forth who you were always created and intended to be you actually become who you always were meant to be. You don't have to settle for false identities or broken ones. And then life is about daily choosing to trust and obey and follow him, not on our terms, but on his, which are always way better than yours and mine. So how are you doing with that? Do you remember how we ended our time last Sunday? When Gabe was preaching through the last passage, for those of you who were here, we had a time of prayer. And these were the things we did business with. Father, what are the things that need to be removed from my life? Please help me. Father, what's one thing you want me to do to align myself with your purposes this week? How, 
how you doing with that? I'm in process. And if you're in process, that's proof that the Spirit of God is working in your life. I shared with my community group this last week, our small group, that man, I really am in a season right now where God is, is pruning me. John chapter 15, later on in this very gospel, he talks about the reality that God removes things from our life that we really don't want to have there, but sometimes we hang on to. And he puts in, it place, puts in their place things that we do want there, things that bless us, things that are good for us, things that are enriching for us. And I'm very much in that process right now. But will I allow him to prune me, to remove those things so he can bless me? Because do you know what his agenda is for you and me? It's to bless us. No one wants to bless us more than God does. But we got to let him. And that means we do business with the things that we're talking about here. Because the reality is, and we'll see this illustrated again next week, Anyone, everyone can believe in him and live. If you don't know Jesus, as good as your life may be, you are not living. You're really not. You're settling. And the life that this amazing God offers us is truly life. And once again, I just, I want to commend you and encourage you. I, I'm pretty confident in a gathering this size, not all of you are, are there. There are some of you like Nicodemus who very reasonably are wrestling with this. Man, the fact that you're here is to your credit. In fact, the fact that you are here, the fact that you're wrestling with this, questioning it, weighing it out is proof that the Spirit of God is moving in your life. The wind of the Holy Spirit is, is blowing in your life because no one comes to the Father unless Jesus enables them. So to your credit, keep thinking, keep wrestling, keep, keep asking questions. Because you know what's so cool about the arc of Nicodemus' story is the Gospel of John isn't done with him. Later on, he'll stand up to the entire Sanhedrin and say, you know what, basically, this is J translation, you guys are judging Jesus before you've really had a chance to hear what he has to say. Doesn't our own law say that's wrong? You'll stand up to... This huge group of the most educated religious men in Israel, and he'll go toe-to-toe with them on behalf of Jesus. Hmm, something's going on there. And then this gospel ends with Nicodemus and Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea going to Pilate, the Roman governor, and claiming Jesus' body. And many scholars believe, and I think they're right, I think by the time we're done with the arc of this gospel, Nicodemus has entered into the kingdom of God. And you can too. And so can I. We are on a journey together. Nicodemus will take the whole gospel. A little spoiler here for you who don't know the story. The woman at the well next week, she's in. And it's a beautiful story. While I was in Hawaii two things. One, I was camped out in Psalm 145 and I just couldn't get past it. I kept reading it and kept reading it and the Lord just kept making it rich and vibrant and speaking to me from it every day. So I just, what'd you do in Hawaii? Psalm 145. And part of Psalm 145 is verse 18, which I, which I memorized because it was just so meaningful to me and it, it so syncs with these realities we're talking about here this morning. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth.
so will you. Will I? The last day, we just had to go stand in the surf one more time before we got in our rental car and went across the island to where the airport was. And so we're standing in the, in the waves there, um, and it's just, it's awesome. It's like, it's really cold. It's like 88 degrees, and, you know, the wind is blowing. And, you know, Disneyland says they're the happiest place on earth. I would beg to differ. Hawaii is the happiest place on earth. Everybody's happy there. I'm just saying. And people talk. And people have community and just hang out with people they'd never cross paths with. And so here comes this dude, walks up to Jamie and me. His name turns out to be Mark. And Mark just starts talking to us, which is not uncommon in Hawaii. It happens to everybody. And so he's talking to us. And we're going back and forth and find out that, um, that he's, uh, he's an accountant. And he says, well, what do you do? And this is always fun for me. And I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I get so many different reactions, some amusing and some not. This was, you know, amusing because he said, oh, you're a pastor? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, I got to tell you my pastor stories. And I went, okay, here we go. And they were good stories, actually. They were, they were stories that made me proud of my brothers in Christ. You know, he told this story of I ran out of gas and this car stopped and this guy got out and he, he not only took me to the gas station, he paid for the gas, bought the gas can, brought me back, got me squared away and found out he was a pastor. And then he told me another story after that. And I was like, yeah, all right. I, I'm one of those pastors. And, um, and we began talking about politics. Yeah, I know. Everyone goes, oh, great. Don't step on a landmine, right? And um, so we're talking politics a little bit. And I said, you know what, Mark? I just, I got to be honest with you. I said, I, politics are not where my hope is. I said, yes, we need, we need politicians. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, we, obviously, we need to figure out how we're going to divvy up resources and take care of things and administrate. Yes, politics has its place. Absolutely. But. It is not the source of our hope. And Mark, it's not, it's not my hope. My hope is in a Messiah, because I found out Mark was a Jew, a Messiah who's coming back and he's going to make all wrongs right. And he's going to restore shalom. And he's the one who our hope is in. Now, he doesn't think the Messiah's come yet. I'm thinking Messiah's coming back to Jesus. We'll be back a second time and he will. But we have some commonality there, and we're talking about that. And as we're done talking about it, he goes, you know what? You're right. You're right. That's, our hope is in Messiah. And so as our worship team comes, and as we respond to what we've been wrestling with here this morning, man, the front and center question is, are you in? Do you belong to the kingdom? You can. You can become born again today, now, by receiving Jesus Christ into your life. I'll lead us in a prayer to do that here in just a minute. And many of you are in the kingdom. So my friends, bring the kingdom with you wherever you go by living it. Don't live by what you feel. Live by what you know. Too many of us, me included at times, live by what I feel. No, live by what you know. So as we sing these songs, as we sing about God's kingdom coming, what does that mean to you? 
What does that mean for you? Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, as we prepare to worship you through music and song, I pray for any here who aren't quite sure or who know definitively that they're not in your kingdom. Would they choose to enter your kingdom right now by saying, Jesus, I want you in my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, thank you that according to your word and your promise, you will enter them through your Holy Spirit and you will never leave them. And Lord, I pray for those here who are still wrestling with this, weighing it out, trying to make sense out of it, that you will not leave them alone until they do and that they would know this is a safe place to do that. And Lord, for those of us who are in your kingdom, would you remind us all over again of what that means and why that matters? And thank you that you are near as your word promises to each and every one of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And he is. He is the Lord of all. If you made that decision to enter into the kingdom of God, we would love to celebrate that with you. This is an amazing day, and we would love to love to hear about that. Please talk to me, talk to our prayer teams, talk to the person who brought you. And speaking of our prayer teams, we all need prayer, and we believe in the power of prayer. And anything we've talked about this morning or whatever else is in front of you, if we can pray for you in that, please don't hesitate to come forward and connect with either one of these prayer teams because we would love to do that with you. And if you're new to our church family, once again, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Right around the corner in the back um, in our cafe next door, we have Next Steps. And there's someone there who would love to meet you, buy you the caffeine of your choice, and just have some time to, to get to know you a little bit. We'd love for you to take advantage of that as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Those are the very verses that follow the passage that we just looked at together today, and they're true. So if you're in the kingdom this morning, go live the kingdom. Bring it and take it with you wherever you go. Because the Holy Spirit, God himself, is with you. And if you're still wrestling with whether you're in the kingdom or not, you are not allowed to leave this building until you talk to one of us. Okay, maybe not that. But we've all been there. We have all been there at some point. And any way we can help you on your journey, we want to. Let me pray his blessing over you. Lord, thank you again for each person who is here. Lord, we thank you for a God who loves us, Despite our sin and selfishness and brokenness, you still love us. And time and time again, you come and offer us a way out from that. You offer us yourself. You offer us your grace. And so, Lord, as we go from here, would we remember your promises? Would we remember that you are near and that you are with us? And would you empower us to live out your kingdom as we go about our day and the rest of our week? And thank you. Thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for what you're doing, and for what you're going to do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. So go and live for him. We look forward to seeing you next week.
Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.